You're listening to Second Breaks, the show where we talk about feeling better, doing better, and being better in midlife and beyond. I'm Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. So, you know, on this podcast, we often talk about change and transformation in one's life, in one's career. I mean, you could even say that's the bread and butter of the show. And usually we talk about sort of like the inciting incident that precipitated the change in someone's life and then how and why they did what they did and then the lessons learned and those kinds of stuff. Which, of course, I absolutely believe that these kinds of stories are very helpful and inspirational and motivating for all of us, for myself as an interviewer also. Um, And after all, that is why I like bringing these stories to you. But we're coming close to 200 episodes now. Oh my goodness. That's another story. But, you know, with so many stories that uh, we've done on the show, as much as we've gone behind the scenes and peeled back layers of these change stories, I can honestly say that today's episode is something different and special. Um, and the only way that I can describe this is that this is a case study on how a deep and personal transformation actually happens. We get to hear not only what happened, or in this case, the series of events that happened, but the personal growth in mindset and the transformation in point of view, how those things actually occurred over time, and how these changes became internalized and truly influenced someone's actions. I am joined today by Vivek Chakraborty, CEO of the Cavi Group, which I'll talk about in a minute. But first, I want to say that Vivek is a dear friend of mine. We met each other over 20 years ago when we both worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers or PwC and, you know, where we became good friends. And then he and I kind of went separate ways. And next thing we knew, a decade has gone by and we had not seen or talked to each other. And then earlier this year in July, we reconnected and we saw each other again. On the one hand, there was Vivek, my good friend from many, many years ago, and someone I could spend hours and hours with chatting, which we did. But on the other hand, I saw a very different person. I saw someone who sort of resembled and hinted of the old Vivek, but he's also a totally transformed person. And I was amazed and impressed and 100% curious, of course. And I wanted to get to know this new Vivek. And thankfully, he was game to join me on the podcast and so that I could really ask all the questions that I really wanted to ask, as I normally do. <laughs> and really like study. Study is the word that I really want to use, this transformation. 
Uh, one of the things that I really liked, there are many things that I like about this conversation, but one of the things that I really, really do like is that it highlights something that I have always believed that people are not transformed by one event. We don't change our mindset, our point of view, because of one thing that's happened to us, no matter how huge that thing was. Rather, we are transformed by a series of events, some of them smaller than others, that when stitched together, shakes the foundation of how we view the world, uh, our role in it, and how we choose to show up in that world. Sometimes the series of events happen back to back, kind of like life quakes, as Bruce Feiler likes to call it in his book, which I love. Life is in the transitions. I've mentioned it a couple times in the podcast. But sometimes they happen over a period of years, 10 years, as in the case with Vivek. So here's a bit of introduction. Vivek Chakraborty is the CEO and founder of Cavi Group, a crisis management and business continuity consulting firm that supports some of the largest firms in the world today. He is a husband and a father to three young adults. You will hear him say later that home is wherever his family is. So let me just say that he and his family resides in Florida. Today, anyway. <laughs> in this episode, we talked about how Vivek slowly but surely discarded the rule books and the constructs by which he had previously lived his life. The philosophies or his north and south stars, as he calls them, that guide his work and life how these philosophies show up in his work and his parenting style, what he views as his responsibility to his employees, and how his ambition expresses itself today versus how it was 20 years ago. Okay, I think that's good setup. Let me step out of the way and uh, I'll catch up with you at the back end. You know, because a lot of people say, Especially on this podcast, all my guests, I asked them, like, how are you different from when you were in your 20s? And a lot of them would say, I'm much more relaxed, you know, <laughs> but I can say for a fact, because I witnessed this, that this absolutely applies to you. You have dramatically transformed your life, it seems like. And so I was wondering if you could share with us maybe the two or three major events that you believe led you or influenced uh, this transformation? Yeah, yeah, sure. Actually, I would say I'm a different person totally mm -hmm. than the person in my 20s. So it's hard for me to sometimes even recognize that person. Like it's, it's almost like a different individual to who I am today. Um, and then that's a span of 20 years, right? So. Um, I was thinking about you know what caused it, and I would say there are three major things that have happened over the last ten years. So it's it's a transformation that has taken ten years in the making, maybe all twenty, but three that stick out. Um, the first one was the day I resigned from Price Waterhouse Coopers. The day I walked out the door, um, and I did that without another job offer. I didn't have another offer. I didn't have another job. My third kid was just born two months old. So we had a family of five of us. 
you know um and while incredibly scary it was also the most liberating moment i had ever felt in my life up to that point um i had the best night of sleep and there is some clarity that comes with having absolute freedom i didn't have to wake up and do something because someone wanted me to right i could choose and that choice um having that was huge huge transformative for me in terms of choosing what can i do now what should i do what do i want to do and that ability to ask those questions unconstrained unencumbered by any sort of requirement was fantastic and that was the start of the transformation can i just stop you there are you saying to me that a week before you quit you really have not asked yourself those questions no no i knew that i did not want to be doing that anymore to the point where it was difficult for me to even find the motivation to go in to do my best and you know me for 20 years so you know when i'm not doing my best it actually affects me so it was affecting me badly in, in physically mentally emotionally that i could not give my all so i knew i had to walk away it wasn't i was walking away for something i knew that th- where i was was no longer the place for me got it right okay um right. what made that even harder is i loved pwc i loved you know you know we were there together mm-hmm. um yes. so to walk away from that after 10 years was very difficult but when you know you know right and so that was the first thing and i did it on my 35th birthday which was my 10th anniversary with the firm i started on my 25th birthday i quit on my 35th birthday and so you could say that was the transformation right a whole new decade and it was like i'm done um mm-hmm. now what do i want to do next um mm-hmm. the second transformative was a few years ago during my emba it took me 20 years after undergrad to go back to grad school um with the right motivation i was ready to do it and we were going through the modules the different semesters and things were not sitting well with me in terms of why i wanted to become an entrepreneur versus the world view of what an entrepreneur should be a master of the universe a visionary someone who's trying to be you know new industries and scale to the top of the mountain and that's not why i went to emba school right i was trying to be a better business person better understanding more knowledgeable wiser in how i run my business not commander of the universe and it it dawned on me when we were in vilnius in lithuania mm-hmm. and this gentleman came to give us a lecture who had been a businessman for 50 years through 50 years he had seen communist regime fall under the soviets he had seen full anarchy he had gone through mob running the business environment where you know you had loan sharks and things to a newly stood up country with no laws and governance to then eu taking over he has seen all that in the span of his time running a company and he stood up in front of our class and he said i didn't do this for the books i didn't do this for the movie endorsements i didn't do this to tell a story that says look at me I just did this because it was an adventure and I was creating a good life for myself. Mm. Right? And that's when it right. hit me. I'm like that's why I'm here. That's why I'm in this MBA. It's not about proving to anybody why I need to be an MBA. Why I need to be a business person. 
what my business needs to be. It just has to be good with me, right? Right. That was huge right. because it changed the course of Covey Group and how I think about myself now as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. It's not tied to what I'm trying to show the world. It's tied to who I am and what I believe the business should be. So, so I thought that was, you know, the second in event. Um, the third one. Before no. before we get to the third one, Vivek, when you left PwC, did you immediately think that I am going to start my own business, or were you thinking, let me look for another PwC type company where I might be able to make my name again? Actually, I knew what I didn't want to do. So I made. <laughs> so I made a list, right? Um, I made a list, and on that list, there was this is what I will not entertain: big company, another big consulting firm, corporate. Ah, you know, so I, I took out all the things that I felt I had already observed and experienced. Got it. So okay. the question became: if I had my choice, where would I explore? And the one thing I'd not done was small business startup or my mm -hmm. own startup. I'll be honest, my own startup was very appealing, and this is 2011. But I'll be honest also, I didn't have the courage to take that <laughs> leap, right? I was like, oh, God, to go from big company to full-on startup and my own startup, I don't know. Um, so I, I bridged the, the gap, and I, I actually reached out to folks in my network who I knew were part of or had small businesses, and I said, hey, I really want to try my hand at this. And that's how I got my next position was at a startup with five people. I was person number six, very small client size, doing consulting. So I was doing so I could bring something of value, but experience something brand new. Mm -hmm. Three years into that, I think I found my confidence. And that's when Kathy, um, my wife, Kathy and I were like, hey, you know what? Let's try it. Yes. Um, so when you did the yeah the EMBA you already had your company yes. and you already had some sense as to what kind of company you were trying to build or want to build and what kind of leader you want to be or what kind of a uh yeah C CEO you wanted to be and you were looking for the EMBA to uh support that or strengthen those notions or uh why did you go to the EMBA to begin with yeah so instinctually i knew what i wanted the company's culture to be right right however i had never run a business so there are fundamentals uh -huh. of running a business versus just instinctually running a company right you have to have the fundamentals and so it had been 20 years since i graduated with my undergrad management degree not enough to run a company responsibly in my opinion so I went back and got the MBA so I could think about strategy, think about marketing, think about you know accounting and finance, the, the sort of fundamentals. But culture-wise, I knew what I wanted Covey Group to be. Right, right. What, what do you think was about the story of the uh, businessman in Lithuania? Uh, what about his story or what he said really struck a chord with you why did you think that made such an impact on you because of how he approached it he never saw his business as a means of making money or achieving fame or achieving some sort of infamy right or or um yeah endorsements things like that 
for him, it was a continuation of himself and his family around him and his closest friends. So it was an extension of his life. Ah, got right? it. Right? Yeah. And so his, his the people that started working with him, their kids are now working at his company. Right. They and and you know, I shared with you that he had seen some pretty turbulent times in the history of Lithuania. Right. One of the examples yeah. that really resonated was when the economy crashed and people could not afford anything, meals, even meals were hard to come by, they would do company cookouts. So the company became the meal for all the families of people that worked there. They would come there once a week, sometimes multiple days for dinner, and they'd sit as a family eat together. When some of them had to get married, they used the company car as the car to transport the bride and groom, yeah. right? So imagine imagine that for a second, like how integrated that is. There's no separation between... I was just about to say, no, I was, you know, normally we hear about like work-life balance, or I thought maybe he would say that he learned how to balance his work, but actually, no, it's more of an integration yes. of what he did for work and how he lived his life that is fascinating and that changes your whole view on how a business is or what a business is or why a business should be and that's what really yeah. resonated so that became my focus through mba school i was like i get the fundamentals but i want that i yeah. want to be that guy in 50 years that can say my life has happened my work has happened my business has happened and I can't draw distinctions and I'm the happiest guy in the world. Did you, was there ever a part of you or was there anybody that maybe in the MBA program who might have said, I don't know, that's Lithuania, Vivek, you're talking about U.S. company here now. It's, that's not. Yeah, they're, <laughs> that's always, not they're always skeptics, Lou. <laughs> skeptics are easy to find. So yes, there, there was every kind of skepticism that you could imagine, right? One was, yes, that's Lithuania, the US is different. The second was, well, why do you need an MBA for that? Mm. The third was, well, maybe it's for a small company, but it's not going to scale, right? You can't ah, scale this yes, yes. to be a big company. Um, why would you start a business if you don't have an exit strategy that gives you a windfall you know, as, as an entrepreneur? Isn't that the whole mm -hmm. idea to cash yes. out? Um, and so, yeah, there were tons of these sort of questions, but all it came back to is the rule book that's out there for what an entrepreneur should be, how an entrepreneur should think, what should be the journey of a business. And what I was hearing from this gentleman was, who cares about those rules? Mm. Why do they matter? Yes, yes, yeah. Right? And so once you tune out that noise, there's another sense of clarity and that's the clarity that that's why it's one of the most impactful events in the last yeah. decade because it allowed me to say i don't have to be big i don't have to cash out i don't have to do have an exit strategy this is what i want to do i'm living my best life right now why would i want to sell it out for some cash like what yes no <laughs> right right exactly i can just imagine the sense of freedom that allows if you you know if you don't the, the true uh manifestation if i don't like the word manifestation but but of think of not even seeing the box anymore there is there is no box there is no, there box. Is no rule book yeah 
Oh, how fascinating! Okay, sorry, I <laughs> I interrupted you. You were going to talk about the third yeah, so, event. So the third one was um, last summer, July of 2021. Um, we had moved to Florida, but we had still kept our house in Redmond, Washington, and I was going back and forth. And um, we took a family trip in the summer to go back to the house to spend a few weeks with friends in, in Washington. We walked into the house as it had been flooding for over a week, um, almost two weeks. There was water everywhere into the crawl space. Everything was ruined. And yeah, it, it broke me. It, it actually mentally, physically, I was just tortured. I couldn't figure out what happened to me, why I was feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And getting over or understanding that process is, I think, the final transformation that's brought me to who I am today. Understanding how to deal with that flood, um, why that flood was so devastating to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it hit on a personal level. So if you think about the quitting PwC, that was career. And you think about the business and how I want to view my career moving forward as an entrepreneur. That was different, but this was home. Yeah. And when it when you see it flooding like that, and all of your memories are soaking, and all of that, um, it really hit me hard. And then I realized, wait a minute, there's a whole new set of rules here that I had placed on my own, on myself around that home, all these visions of the future where someday we would come back to Redmond, this would be the family home, the kids would have kids and they would come back. Kathy and I would grow older. It had it was a nice corner lot, very quiet woods, deer would walk by. It was fantastic. Um, and I had time traveled into the future in my old age and I'd already plotted all these scripts, right? Mm. Yeah. And walking into that house at that moment, it was like someone just burned down the movie theater. All of those scripts, all of those amazing visions I had. Oh my God. Went away. And and then I realized, but why did I do that? Why did I getting over that tra- that that construct that I had created was so liberating? Because now I don't care what home is, because wherever Kathy and the kids are, that is home. It's not a physical structure. It's not a bunch of photographs. It's not a bunch of papers or placards or art pieces. That's not home. The, so I just wanted to to um, parse this out a little bit because there is a part of us, I think, that is, it's normal for us to dream about our future, right? Our future, we get older with our, you know, with our with our kids, with our family, with our partners. So that's normal. And you're not saying not to dream about the future. What you're saying is to, if I understand you correctly, is to detach that from physical things like a house, like a geographical location. Yes. Is that what yeah. I'm hearing? Yeah, so so Got getting it. rid of the construct, like there was, there were a whole bunch of constructs, right? So... Coming from an Asian culture, the man is expected to be the 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 breadwinner or have the be the one to provide the roof over the head. Yes, and, you know, there's a lot of that, and that's baggage. Yes, this allowed me to unburden the baggage because the family was fine, everybody was fine. 
life would mm-hmm. go on. A building structure got water in it and a few things got wet. What, what outside of that, what happened? So imagine all the emotional baggage ah, attached to yes. it. So when you say detach, that's the realization that my attachment is to the experiences with Kathy and the kids and going through life together as a unit versus the collectibles that we get as we do that. It's, oh my God, this is so resonating with me because, again, because it's so natural to associate your memories with the collectibles. Correct. Right? Um, and so the chair that I brought when I was, you know, and we were, you know, we were barely making it and we just bought this in the flea market yes. in Soho, whatever. And then, but it's not that chair. It's the experience of being together through the hard times. and Or, or oh even being in Soho. That's the experience. Oh, yeah. The fact that you were yeah. there and you bought that chair and you went through that, that's what you're going to take. The chair is not going with you anywhere, right? It's just, right, it's just right. the artifact of that experience. And so to me, that was the realization that um, out of these three things, it's not, and, and you can see that in each of these, it's not the material outcomes that I mm-hmm. care about anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the biggest transformation you see from me in my 20s to today is I have undone the baggage. I have replaced the rule book. The construct is my construct. It's not one that I've inherited or being given to say, here's how you should feel about yourself. If you have these accolades, if you have these degrees, if you have this type of house and this type of car, if you have this title, then you should feel accomplished. If you had this exit strategy and you made 10 times your investment, you are now successful, right? Mm -hmm. None of that matters. The construct is now my construct on how I define who I want to be. And that's the transformation you see. Okay, so you just how quickly were you able to figure out you know that that scene you walked into the house and it's flooded and you were devastated and um you had to figure out what the heck's going on like how quickly were you able to figure out this is why i'm reacting this way oh it took months really yeah, so, so you oh, were really devastated for a while yeah, the, yeah. well there's the immediate trauma yes. right of just getting the house um it had to be gutted we had to move all our stuff out um, it completely ruined the vacation because the vacation became a crisis management scene. Yes, um, right. right? Um, luckily, this is what I do for a living. So I was able to channel into crisis manager mode and I'm like, okay, guys, here's what we got to do. This is the plan. So I put all the emotions to the side. It just became pure work, right? right. Gotcha. Once that was done, then the emotions came back. Then the real trauma set in like the, the sleepless nights I don't, I'm, I don't mind admitting it. I was crying incessantly mm. <laughs> over it, yeah. right? And, and I couldn't figure out why am I crying? Why am I just breaking down? Um, you know, I looked at, I was raised Catholic. So I looked at religion as the source. I'm like, hey, are there any answers? And I couldn't, there were no answers because you can't just take it on faith and go, it was meant to be, right? And so it put me on this path to try and unwind what the baggage was that really bothered me. Took months. 
took s- several months and i would say not until earlier this year did sort of the tube light go on and yeah. it was like oh wow i understand and now it no longer matters I, you just said something there that i just wanted to pin for for my own purposes also because i know that a lot of people when they encounter a truly devastating uh event or situation um this thing that people say oh it's meant to be and they find that to be the path out of the feeling sorry or feeling bad is like it was meant to be or this happens for a reason but what i find that's very different which that's why i'm trying to pin this because i want to capture this for myself is it's not that it's that you un you didn't just say or maybe you didn't even say this was meant to be or this is a it was you realized what was underneath all of it it has nothing to do with whether it's meant to be or it happened right. for a reason or anything like that right. it was what's underlying this feeling yes what came out of it is a tool that i use every day yeah. so it's how i understand my role in anything that is happening right the tool i came up with is there's only one thing you can control in life it's you mm-hmm. it's you yeah. you can't control anything outside you because there's so many variables right um and when i say it's you i'm talking about even your spouse or your kids or your friends you can't there's right. only a certain degree that you have influence mm-hmm. over but you can't control them you can control yourself 100% and so i look at it four ways you can control your thoughts you can control your emotions you can control your energy and you can control your actions those are 100% under your control in any situation right. and what i yes. realized was in that situation i let go of my emotions i let go of my energy my actions were not mine right and my thoughts were again miserable thoughts all these things devastated ruined so essentially mm-hmm. i was creating more pain for myself that's right that's right but that's a choice Yeah. And and so what I take away now now when you realize that you're accountable for your life. You're not accountable for what happens to you, but you're accountable for how you deal with it. And there's mm-hmm. no excuse. So if you get angry, you can't say that person made me angry. Right. That person did oh something. Oh my god. You chose yes. to get angry. Yes. You choose to focus on that. You choose to put your energy on that. You may react and act away that escalates that anger right all that's coming from you okay scale of 1 to 10 10 being all the time and 1 being never ever like how today today your life today how good are you in able to catch yourself from like letting your emotions run in certain things i'm a 10 in certain things i'm a 1 like driving is a one. I still get irritated with people <laughs> on the road, right? And and I'm trying so hard, Lou. I'm trying so hard to not have that action or that emotional trigger, right? Mm-hmm. When someone cuts you off on the road. Um right. But in some aspects like in work, in handling tough situations, um, you know, dealing with the kids and when they as they're growing up and you know, kids can uh, get yeah. on parents uh nerves. So I've become much better at that. Um I think I'm a better spouse as a result because now I can stop and say what am I have four choices actions thoughts emotions energy what am I going to choose to do 
And the moment it leaves me, that's a deliberate choice. So you can't say something and then go, oh, no, sorry, you made me say that. That's, that's not how it works. Right. So that's been huge. And, and I think that's one of the two things. So I, I shared that's one of my tools. There's two tools that I've basically centered on, and they are my compass, north and south, if you will, um, my two poles that I work with. What's the other one? So the other one is a concept from Japan called Ikigai. Okay. All right. And um, I think I may have shared this with you before. Ikigai actually means your purpose for being, okay? the reason for being. Iki in Japan, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Iki in Japan means life and Gai describes worth or value. So therefore, your Ikigai is your life purpose or your bliss. And okay. it's really the intersections of four areas of life. So if you think about those four areas, one is you do what you love doing. The second one is you do what you're good at. The third is the world needs what you do. And the fourth is you can get paid for what you do. And mm -hmm. when you are the intersection of those four, you found your Ikigai. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To me, I love that because it allows me at a macro level to decide what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's incomplete until you add the second part, which was the four choices you have. When you put those two together, you have a very good recipe for bliss. And that's pretty much actually I have Ikigai printed. It's on my wall right in front of me. You you remind yourself all the it's time. It's right in front of me yes. um, every day. So when I'm making choices about the business, when I'm making choices about projects I'm going to work on, when I'm making choices about anything that's life related, I'm looking at that and going, okay, where does that sit in my Ikigai? Hey, hey. We're going to get back to the show just now. I just want to mention quickly that this podcast is made possible by Midlife Cues. Now, Midlife Cues is a weekly digital newsletter for midlifers or anybody who self-identifies as a midlifer, really. And it's about intentional living and being our best in the second half of our lives. I invite you to give it a try. Head on over to midlifecues.com. That's midlife, C-U-E-S, one word, dot com to sign up. Okie dokie. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, when we, I think we, when we were last together, we were sort of like talking about the environment we were, we both came from, which is very, it's competitive, full of type A people. And really, we had to also be assertive and be equally competitive because otherwise nothing's going to ever happen to, right. to us in that kind of environment. And so I think you had, you know, we had talked about how to some degree we were products of the environment we were in because, you know, we were, we wanted to do well, right? We wanted, we wanted, we didn't just want to survive. We wanted to do well in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so we had to, you know, um, and so I kind of get that. What's interesting for me hearing you talk now, even as you talk about Ikigai, is that I hear an underlying, or even when you were talking about what you wanted Kavi Group to be, you know, or, you know, that kind of stuff, or how you want to be a leader, what I'm hearing is still a latent ambition in there. 
And yet, it sounds fundamentally different from the ambition that I heard you talk about back <laughs> when we were together. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? So how would you, like, why do you think that is? And so what I'm saying is that you're not, not ambitious anymore. You're still ambitious. Correct. But it sounds very different. Yes. The, the ambition hasn't gone away. The means of how I express that ambition and the outcome the end that that ambition is seeking is completely different, right? The person you knew at PwC, that ambition was driven by material gains. So we did that for the one rating. Yes. And, and, I, I, and we were good at it. I mean, the 10 years that I was at PwC, I think I was a one eight times. I had two chairman's awards, right? Back-to-back -back years. So mm -hmm. um that's that that was what that ambition was driven towards it was getting those ratings it was getting those performance reviews of exceeded 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 it was the chairman's awards it was client accolades like oh my god you're the most amazing yeah. you did this for us um it was the bonuses and the raises that could then create a better life the titles making partner mm. i mean yeah. people are driven that becomes your life mission at PwC. I want to be partner, right? That was then. Or even, or even how long you were as an associate, Correct. or how long you're a senior associate. Like you, how long you know yes. how long you're at a specific level. You want to beat all the records. Yes. Or how long you're at? A yes, absolutely. I was driven by those absolutely. things. Oh my right? goodness. <laughs> it, it, that is exactly how it is, and so that that was the ambition then it was channeled and that's what i mean by you become a product of your environment that's the game that they set up and you played the game we loved playing the game we were very good at that game but that was the game and so it channeled all of your energy your emotions your actions your thoughts into being that they created mm. today what is my ambition i no longer care about the material outcomes it's about the experiences. So getting those experiences in the most blissful way is how I'm channeling that ambition. So the ambition is still there, but it's seeking out new experiences on my terms, seeking it through mm. my ikigai, right? That's the right. achievement. And if I can do that and wake up and be as energized as you can see and hear me now, yeah, that's the achievement. There's no title associated with it. There's no material wealth associated with it. And there doesn't have to be. That's the difference. So you're still sensing ambition, drive, passion, but yes. it's being channeled very differently. The energy, the emotions, the thoughts, the actions are two different people in two different Got worlds. It. Got it. Oh, I can totally see that. So how, how, how are you trying, if you are trying, how are you trying to teach your children because they're going to grow up or they are growing up in a world that's very motivated by the things that we were motivated about you know so are you trying to teach them or are you saying to yourself oh they're going to have to go through their own path by themselves and what are you how, how are you trying to you know yeah. teach them if anything <laughs> that, that, that's a constant <laughs> discussion between kathy and me <laughs> because <laughs> Because, because I have sort of departed from the conventional parenting approach. Um, I think, and I think most of us were raised where the parents' role was to tell you what they think is in your best interest, right? Mm -hmm. Because they know you, you're their kid. Through this journey, I have come to really 
really appreciate free will. If I am going to create my own rule book and my kids are watching me do that every day, who am I to tell them that they have to follow my rule book? That is a contradiction. And we parents do this all the time. We all will the do time. A and then we will tell the kid, you got to do B because B is best for you. And they're looking at you going, but, but you did A. And you're like, don't question me. I'm your parent. Just do it. Yes. That's the overriding <laughs> rule, right? As a parent, you're like, don't ask, just do it. Right. That's exactly it. We all, we all, all, almost everybody has grown up in a household where you had to deal with that. You're like, wait a minute, there's a problem with what you're telling me to do because you don't do that. And they're like, like for example, parents will say, you got to go out and get exercise. Why are you sitting on your iPad? But then the parent right. is on Netflix at the same time, <laughs> not working out. Right? <laughs> How do you square this? Oh two? my god! So, totally. <laughs> so, so you know, to me, I've stepped away from that. Um, I just do. I do. They watch and they will choose. Right. Um, and they will. Make so, uh, for example, I have I have insider knowledge. I know that one of the things that you did when you were a young kid is you told your father that you wanted to leave India and you, you picked your path for you picked your school and everything. So if your sons tell you that you will be okay with it? Sure. If your sons did what you did to your dad, yeah, absolutely. you'll be okay with it? Absolutely. Um, because it's their life and it's their mm. experience and it's their story. I would not be sitting here today talking to you as the person I am if my mom and dad did not say, yes, go ahead, leave, go mm. to the US, go live with your uncle, right? Because as hard as it was for them, it was just as hard for me to arrive in the US with no friends. Um, I lived with my aunt and uncle who are like my parents now, my cousins who are like my siblings, but I had not known them before I arrived. So I was in a new country, in a new home, in a new school, knew everything. I had an accent, grew up in a completely different environment. So my parents, not just letting go was difficult, but imagine knowing that they were sending me off my own free will to a place where nothing was going to be the same. And knowing yeah. that that was going to be incredibly difficult, they were like, yeah, but that's your path. So I feel that's how it is. While the kids have not yet said that that's what they want to do, what it has spawned is three completely independent individuals. Even though they've grown wow. up under the same house, yes, one is yeah. a complete jock. He is a football rugby player with great grades. The second one is a complete intellectual with great grades, but he plays golf and swims. He wants nothing to do with physical contact sports. And he could mm -hmm. care less about competition. It's not about winning and beating someone. It's just the enthusiasm of going through. And then Lara, who's the girl, um, the youngest of the three, she is into dance, right? She's into art. And so you've got mm. three completely different expressions but they have the same parents. And so we've never channeled them to be like, this is what you have to do. This is what you have mm -hmm. to be. These are the right, right professions. This is how, you know, no, they all do different activities. They all do, they have completely different interests. They listen to different music. They even play different games, which is so fascinating for me. I think that that's the result of taking this approach. Just for context to the listeners, as an Asian, what Vivek just said is 
ridiculously different because Asian parents are known to be Correct. very dogmatic about what their kids are going to become. Right. 100%. <laughs> that, that's right. And so I grew up in an Indian household, but I think my entire being has created the right conditions for me to be this kind of person. My mom is Catholic. My dad is Hindu. I was born in India, but I grew up in a Muslim country. I grew up in the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So there were never absolutes in my life. Mm. There were never these absolutes that created such a strong identity. I came to the U.S. at 16. So I never actually was Indian, you know, carrying the Indian flag throughout. I came here at 16. I've been here 30 years of my life. So if anything, I'm more American than anything else. But <laughs> I'm right. still Indian. Right. And I still yeah. spent 16 years in the UAE. So I have an attachment to the UAE. I still have really dear friends who live there. Mm -hmm. There is no absolute to the identity, right? And so um, even in the U.S., I've not lived in one place. Like, you know, some people will stay in New York for 20, 30 years. They yeah. become a New Yorker. You know, right. we met in New York. But before that, I lived in Maryland. Before that, I was in Indiana. Yeah. I went to mm -hmm. college. Before that, I was in Virginia. After um, New Jersey, we moved back to Virginia. Then we moved to Washington State. Now we're in Florida. We've moved mm -hmm. with the kids the entire time like we've had them they've never laura's been through six schools in the last eight years we're creating a we're, we are not we're creating we are a family that does what's right for us regardless of the circumstances we're not right. controlled by an identity we're not controlled by circumstance now if we turn that lens to your responsibility or if you think that there is a responsibility now as leader of your company as CEO and you have employees that look to you for leadership and obviously you display this these values at work and they see you do you have do you think that you want to influence their view of success or teach them a different kind of viewing success like how do you where do you see your responsibility yeah there? um actually I ikigai is embedded into our company culture uh, mm. we actually talk about passions and we use um love and work which is a book by marcus buckingham that's embedded into how we think and how we work my responsibility the way i see it is to provide my team with a canvas and that canvas mm. is the Covey Group canvas built on my principles of free will, choice, exploration, not rules based on we have to hit this quota, we have to hit this sales target, you have to meet this criteria to get promoted. So I create the canvas, which means at Covey Group, you probably guessed it, we have no titles, there is no promotion, there are no raises, there's only bonuses tied to outcomes. The mm -hmm. outcomes are chosen by the team. There's no management layer. Everybody is their own boss. There are no working hours. You decide your working hours. We have no office. Everybody works from home. So there is an incredible amount of autonomy and there's an incredible amount of responsibility because like I said, there's no one else to blame. It's you wow. and your client. It's you. How do you make you. sure that the employees, as you grow, have bought into this way of working? So uh, 
we've been in in february or coming january it will be nine years so we're in our eighth year of existence we went from nothing which we started as to now we've got 20 people so to answer your question so far it's scaled right but i'm not going to transport myself into the future and envision a covey group that has a hundred people in hundred homes I'm not going to do that because my lesson from Washington has taught me to live in the moment. So in the moment, this is where we are. It has scaled up to 20. We are very, very tight. We are an incredibly tight group. Actually, every single person that works at Covey Group has come as a direct knowledge of working with me or someone at Covey Group. No one's been Uh hired off of a job board. They're all referrals based on actual life experience. So the person being referred already has the characteristics that we know we want in Covey Group. Where it becomes difficult is you read stuff in the news, right? So-and-so company, big bonuses, this, that. And then you can't help but go, why don't we do that? And then you have to come back to the core and say, but are we trying to be them? Ah, yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you something like what, what I've seen in the, what validates this for me is we have folks who have joined Covey Group who never were consultants before they came, who had never even done business continuity or crisis management before they came. Today, they're doing stuff that even they themselves will admit. Three years ago, if you had said, hey, you're going to be one day running an account, doing crisis management, and you'd be a really valued consultant by your client, they would have laughed at you and gone, ha, I can't even get in front of a group and talk. You want me to present to executives? That will never happen. Well, today they are. Mm-hmm. What's amazing is they're not doing it because they are being told to. They're not doing it for a promotion. They're not doing it because they have to get a number one rating. They're not doing it for any of that. We don't have a chairman's award. They're not doing it for any of those material things. It's all coming from within. It's an exploration. It's a curiosity. And so my responsibility as CEO is to continue to allow that to happen, not to get in the way to interfere with it. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've heard parts of this story before, and I was amazed. And now as I hear, you know, more of, about it. I continue to be amazed. And it's so, it's like really, and I'm not just telling you this because you're my friend. <laughs> I'm really, really impressed. And I love, you know, the, I love seeing the transformation, experiencing the transformation, but also hearing how it came about. Do you know what I mean? Like, because transformations don't just, you sleep one night, the next morning you wake up and right. you're like a totally different person. Like, this is exactly what it is. This this lifetime of experimenting, testing, you know, uh, uh, clarifying certain things for yourself, understanding yourself better, questioning, questioning, all these things, right? I, I love it. Can you talk about, because, I mean, we've mentioned the CAVI group a couple of times. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what exactly the Kavi group is and who do you work with? So Kavi group is a consulting firm and we specialize in crisis management and business continuity. Um, we work with some of the largest companies on earth. Um, they are our clients. We only have a handful because we're a small team, but what we do for them is manage crises globally 
real time, mm-hmm. 24-7. Um, and if you think about what's happened in the world in the last four or five years and what's happening right now, um, we are incredibly busy. So we work with, I can't tell you the names because of non-disclosure right. agreements, but in their industry, they are the biggest companies of those industries. Some of them are the biggest companies on earth, right? In terms of who they are. Um, and we work with their operations across the globe. Um, what we do specifically is we look at crises, how they, what will happen to them in different situations. How do they prepare for those crises? We train them. We conduct exercises and simulations so they're ready to go when that thing happens. We build contingency plans for them. Um, And now in the last two years, we've also got into supply chain, which is third-party verification. So we go to their third parties and we find out whether they have the crisis plans and the contingency plans to stand up and continue to supply if something were to happen downstream. So if um, if someone wants to, or, you know, a company wants to work with you, with Kavi Group, what is, what is the, how, how do they contact the Kavi Group? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, so they can find mm-hmm. me on LinkedIn. Um, we have our webpage, www.thekavigroup.com. They can just call me. We don't have a okay. sales team. We don't have a marketing team. We actually don't sell or market. Um, you know, I just told you about the clients we have. Mm-hmm. Every single client of the Covey Group over the last eight years has come through referral. Every single client and even every single project that we've worked on. So in eight years now, I think we just hit our hundredth project. Um, mm-hmm. Every single one has come as a result of referral or, or renewals. So, um, yeah, it's because we love what we're doing. We, understand, we, we are invested in the journey. And our clients, actually, once they find that out, they want to be part of that journey. And so it's refreshing for them. Actually, that's what I get told all the time by our clients. Like, you're unlike any consulting firm we've ever worked with. And I'm like, that's because we are. <laughs> we are. You intended unlike, it to be you know, that way. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, one thing is that I know, and I'm very happy about this because I know that recently, maybe in the last year, maybe less than a year, you've been more active in sharing your own views on leadership, on running a company on LinkedIn. And so I will make sure to put your profile on the show notes so people can find you because to the listener, even if you are not looking to hire a company for business continuity or crisis management, really, it it. Uh, it pays to follow uh, Vivek on LinkedIn and again not just because he's my friend but really because he's been sharing lots of his ideas about leadership and a lot of the things that you've heard him talk about today you can see them um, in written form on LinkedIn because he's been more active about that so thank you and please do not stop doing that (laughs) I won't I won't at 20 I was drunk on the Kool-Aid of employers, family, religion, society, politics, and all the constraints and baggage that comes with that Kool-Aid. Today, I am sober and loving life. I want to thank Vivek Chakraborty again for his thoughtful and candid sharing of his personal story and journey with us today. 
You will find all the links to his LinkedIn account and his company's website, as well as some highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. And thank you, my dear listener friend, for being here, for joining me today. If you like this episode or this podcast in general, please do me a solid and share it with a friend or two. I mean, word of mouth is still the best way to grow. And by mentioning this episode to your friends, you're going to be helping me tremendously in reaching other midlifers who can benefit from the topics that we talk about on the podcast. I will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, which I think is going to be the last episode of the year. Oh my goodness, I think it is going to be that. So in the meantime, here's to a joyful and easeful week ahead. Like I always say, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Ah. Thank you so much, Vivek. I appreciate that, really. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lou. This was fantastic.